When we left our study of Samuel, we last, we last saw David distributing God's loving kindness. That is where we left our spiritual hero. David living in the height of God's promises to his family and kingdom. Today's narrative is a pivotal point in the books of Samuel. We've seen David at his best, and today we see him at his worst. We've seen David rise, and now today we see him fall. David, the king of God's people, a man after God's own heart, decided as a king he was no longer accountable to God and his calling on his life. We see David neglect his duty as king, lust after another man's wife, take her forcefully into his bed, commit adultery, and then seek to cover up his sin, ultimately ending in the murder of the woman's husband. In 13 short verses, we see a successful king fall to unspeakable depths. David was a king giving the loving kindness of God to all. And now he takes a wife and takes a life. The truth is, is that this narrative is more than we want to know about David and more than we can bear to understand about ourselves. The question before us is, how do you rise so high and fall so low? Secondly, if you fall that far, can you get out? With those questions in mind, we look to 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where we see David march into the pit of sin, suffering consequences, and then God ultimately giving him a path out. From this word, we will see these two paths, the path down into the pit of sin and the path out. Marching into the pit of sin, we suffer consequences, but God offers us a way out. David did not fall into the pit of sin in a single moment. He walked this path step by step. There's a key word in this narrative, sent. It carries this entire story along. It starts with David sending Joab off to fight his war without him. Sending for Uriah's wife to come to him. Sending for Uriah to come to him. And then ultimately sending Uriah out to his death. David is in full control. And by his sending, he walks the path into the pit. 
The path into the pit is subtle, it moves swiftly, and its destination is death. On the path into the pit, we see four steps which model for us how sin works in our lives as well. The first step to sin is that we neglect our duty as Christians. Have you ever heard the phrase, idle hands make for devil's play? This usually comes from the same person that tells you that nothing good happens after dark. At least, that was my experience in my teenage years. And as much as I didn't like it then, it has turned out to be oh so true. David is not where he is supposed to be. We see in the very first verse that something is wrong. The time when kings go out to battle, David sent his men into battle not following along. He stays behind. His first step on the path was that he did nothing. He was supposed to be at war. In fact, we have seen throughout this entire series that God has been establishing David's kingdom through the very thing that he is now neglecting. War. Battle. When we are lazy in our duty to the Lord, which could be a physical call to serve in a ministry of some sort, or we are lazy in our duty to pursue relationship with the Lord, or we are lazy in our duty to evangelize and disciple others, we become vulnerable to temptation. Instead, we indulge ourselves with worldly pursuits. Because we think that pleasing ourselves will fulfill us. David's fulfillment comes from service to the Lord. Just as our fulfillment comes from denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Christ for the sake of the gospel. According to Mark 8, 34 through 35 there. In David's idleness, he goes for a walk on the roof of his home, that God has established for him. And as he walks, his eyes catch a glimpse of a beautiful woman bathing. Now David most likely did not intend on getting on that roof to spy on naked women. And this woman surely was not looking to be seen in her bath where she was attempting to cleanse herself following the Torah's laws. And yet, seeing her naked, he does not look away. King David does not flee temptation. He indulges himself. David not only keeps on looking, but now he sends for information about this woman. And he receives an immediate response. Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah? David could have averted his eyes in the first place and now presented with the information of who this woman is, he has another opportunity to avert his eyes. But he doesn't. Now he covets Uriah's wife. 
David's sin was not that he saw Bathsheba naked. It is that he continued to indulge his eyes and that indulgence grew to covetousness. Brothers and sisters, how have you indulged yourself? For some of you, your path into the pit is the same as David's. Your eyes wander and you indulge yourself through pornography or watching a girl or man at the gym. Maybe you watch Hallmark movies wishing that your relationship looked more like the one you see on the screen. Perhaps for you, your path into the pit is not a sexual temptation. Maybe what you indulge in your lives is the love of money, power, and things. Your dreams and desires and longings are for material possessions like clothing, technology, or cars. You desire above all else to wake up with enough money in your account that you could do anything you want, indulging in your greatest desires on a whim. You long for ultimate power that would let you take control of your job, your family, your life. Brothers and sisters, we are just as guided by our eyes as much as those who lust after women and men that are not their own. You think your happiness will come not from another partner, but from more money, vacations, a new home, the newest smartphone, and power. All who indulge themselves live life as if God is not enough. King David sends a messenger and takes her to lie with her. In this moment, David is committing adultery. It started with indulging lust, which Jesus says is a form of adultery. He has already indulged himself in the fantasy of this woman without ever laying a hand on her. And now he has her in his home in which the Lord has established. And he takes her, thereby betraying his marital covenant and God. As an aside... I'm not blind to the fact that some would like to say that Bathsheba was only bathing at this time to entice the king. But the text doesn't say that. The text says David took her. This is an allusion to 1 Samuel 8, as you might remember, where Samuel predicted that a king like the nations would take from the people. And that is exactly what David is doing. David did not invite her, did not woo her, did not lure her. He took her. King David exerted his authority over her for his own sexual indulgence with no thought or concern for her desire. It is clear here how David has betrayed his wife's. However, it is also true that he has betrayed the Lord as well. For when we sin, we are being unfaithful to God. By committing any sin, we are unfaithful to him and his desire in our life. 
We have shaped our lives in such a way that we have chosen sin over him. For some, this is witnessed through adultery, like David. For some, it's idolatry in those that are seeking money and power and fame. But at the end of the day, any sin that is committed can ultimately be understood as placing your desires for that sin over your desires for Christ. David, hearing the news of the woman's pregnancy, he is once again given an opportunity to make things right. He could say something. He could admit what had happened. Instead, he acts in self-interest and begins to plan his cover-up. David sends for the woman's husband, Uriah, and brings him back from the war to cover up his betrayal. The problem is, is that Uriah is too faithful to cover up the unfaithfulness of the king. We see that Uriah makes a commitment that he will not step foot in his home, drink, and make love to his wife. That's what's happening here. He is committed to the battle in which his brothers are fighting. He's saying, my commander and fellow men, they have no such comfort. They are out there in the fields. How could I possibly go and lay with my wife and take that comfort now? I will not be sent into my house. You have to wonder in this moment. Did David have any sense of guilt? Sitting before him is a man more faithful than him. Regardless, David pushes forward with his plan. Uriah refuses to go down. And David says, I've got to do something. He gets him drunk. And he's thinking, in his impairment, then I can convince him. Then I can get him to go down. However, Uriah is faithful to his core and remains so even when the king gets him intoxicated. At any moment, the king could confess what had happened. And instead, David continues to pursue the cover-up. Only now he has one option left. Uriah must die. And it must happen in battle so that my betrayal of my wife's, of Uriah, of the Lord, of all of Israel will be covered up. And no one will suspect that I had any part in any of it. The king sends Uriah with his death warrant back into the battle. Uriah and the other faithful soldiers that served David and Israel were sent to die for the selfish indulgence of David, the king. The path into the pit of sin starts with negligence of your duty to the Lord. It continues with you indulging yourselves. And as you indulge yourself, you make yourself vulnerable to commit betrayal through sin. That unfaithful act will then beg to be covered up. That is the path that leads into the pit of sin. I'm sure many, if not all of you,
have heard this quote, but it is one that I became familiar with just about five years ago. John Owen, in his book, The Mortification of Sin, had this word of wisdom for us. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. David should have been killing his sin at each step along the path. Instead, he nursed it to full maturation, bringing him to the end of the path of the pit. This is the reality of our sin. The path into the pit. And our sin has consequences. Consequences that will affect generations and can only be paid for with someone's life. Brothers and sisters, be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. David marries Uriah's wife. He believes that he has gotten away with his secret sin and the plot to cover it all up. David believes he is sitting in a high place where no one was able to see what he had done. But the Lord saw his walk down into the pit of the sin. Look with me at 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven that says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What does God do? How does he respond? David has been sending, right? He sent Joab to war. He sent for the woman. He sent for Uriah. He sent Uriah to his death. And the Lord watched David march his way into this pit. Now it's time for God to send. God sends his prophet, Nathan, to speak a word to David. And what does he say to the man in the pit? And what does it teach us about the path out of the pit of sin? Let's hear God's word to David in 2 Samuel 1 through 15. I will read. Please stay seated. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he had brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of the morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. And now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had to come. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. 
And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have had added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. Here we see how the word exposes sin and, those, and the consequences of that sin. And we also see David's response to God's word and how he was restored. This gives us a blueprint of what it can look like to walk out of the pit of sin. The Lord sends Nathan to David to convict and convert David. Nathan uses a parable to illustrate how he had betrayed God and Uriah. David responds in righteous anger, and he declares that this rich man be put to death and the poor man be restored four times for the loss of his lamb. After David's righteous outburst, we see Nathan state clearly, you are the man. Nathan exposes David's sin in a surgical manner. We all know that often full-on assault, truth for truth's sake, leads only to defensiveness. But here, David is undone and condemned by his own words. Brothers and sisters, we need the word of the Lord in our lives. One of the primary ways in which that happens is right now. Every Sunday, submitting yourselves to being under the word of the Lord delivered by your pastors for your good. Another is by reading the word of the Lord and praying unceasingly. Nathan was a prophet with permission to speak into the king's life and holding him accountable to the word of the Lord. As believers in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit acting as Nathan in your life. Do not ignore him when he warns you of 
danger. Don't ignore the Spirit's promptings in your life. You can also give permission to others in your life to be your Nathan. What I'm saying here is that when you are at the bottom of the pit of sin, you are likely not paying attention to your prayer and scripture time anymore. You likely have suppressed the Holy Spirit and hardened your heart. You are likely even avoiding coming to church on Sunday. But if we have Nathans in our life, we have given the Lord one more avenue to speak truth into our life. And if you find yourself asking, who has that authority in my life? You had better find someone, and they should know you well. Whether it's a spouse or a close friend or a family member, you should give someone the authority to speak into your life and give you God's word. In 2 Samuel 7, God promised to establish the house of David. But now the word of the Lord marks David's house in judgment. The house that was built by the sword would now be marked by the sword. Evil will be raised up from within David's house against him. And just as he took Uriah's wife in secret, his wives will be taken, but in sight for all to see. David's sins had consequences. And all will know that he has sinned against the Lord. Lastly, his son born from adultery will die. David's consequences of sin should remind us that God does not take sin lightly. David's life will never be the same. In fact, after this week, we will see him ultimately restored to God's service, but his ability to be a king is crippled forever. And his lineage will wreak havoc on what the Lord has built up. All of us have consequences of sin. In Christ, we are eternally forgiven. Make sure you hear that. You are eternally forgiven in Christ. However, there are real and lasting consequences today for sin. Some obvious and some less so. Brother, if you walk the same path as David into sin, you could lose your marriage, your children, your reputation. The Lord will forget your sin if you repent, but that does not remove the consequences for your actions here. The pit of sin is deep and dangerous. And by the grace of God, you may be pulled out of it. But you will still be cut, broken, and bruised. And those scars, aches, and pains will be carried with you forever. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David confesses and repents of his sin to Nathan. In contrast to Saul's evasive behavior and excuses when he was confronted by Samuel, David's reaction to Nathan was vastly different. Dave, David admitted, I have sinned against 
the Lord. Which was a crucial step, which is a crucial step in receiving forgiveness. Genuine repentance without excuses or minimizing one's sin is necessary for our forgiveness. Augustine wrote, I have sinned. It's just three syllables, and yet in these three syllables, the flames of the heart's sacrifice rose up to heaven. If you have never said those words before, then I pray the Lord is softening your heart to realize the pit of sin that you are stuck in. And I pray that you would repent and receive the grace of God today. And for my brothers and sisters here, it is equally important that we confess our sins any time that we are aware of them. As believers, our exposure to the word of the Lord should be constant because of our habits, the Holy Spirit, and accountability. Do not ignore the word and offer up your confessions of sins and repent. Allow the grace of God to pull you from the pit of sin. It only happens if we confess and repent. David's admission led to Nathan telling him, the Lord has put away your sin. You are not going to die. Putting away David's sin refers to the fact that he would not face the punishment that he deserved for his actions. In his righteous anger to the parable, David had unknowingly pronounced the death penalty on himself for the crime he had committed. However, because of God's mercy and grace, he was forgiven and would not suffer the death that he deserved for his sins. And from this point forward, David is a changed man. His behavior is surprising to his aides, and as readers, the sudden turn back to faithfulness can also be jarring. But that is the pivot of God's grace. David, accepting the consequences of his sin, he enters his home, lays on the floor, fasting in continual prayer on behalf of his son. David then, after the death of his son, breaks his fast, cleans himself, anoints himself, and enters into the house of the Lord to worship him. David knows that he had received the grace of the Lord. And he was praying that his son would see that grace as well. When that grace was given, David then had no reason to continue to make petitions on behalf of his son. But he does have hope in an eternal reunion with that child. I'm aware that there are people in this room that have lost children. And even when our lives are lived in the grace of God, there are things that happen that we cannot understand. For David here, his circumstances were based on his fallen sins. While other terrible things can happen just according to the fallen nature of the world. 
Remember the promise of the Lord from 2 Samuel 7, 14 through 15, which says this. When he, it's talking about David, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. David is a man who has been clearly disciplined, and yet he clings to the steadfast love of the Lord. Restored in the love of the Lord, we see David comfort his wife Bathsheba. This is only the second time that Bathsheba is named in these chapters. She was named first as the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah. But after that, she is just referred to as woman or wife. I believe this is intentional to emphasize David, his sin, the consequences of that sin, and his repentance. I think it's also intentional that in this moment, after their son conceived through adultery, died, that she is honored by her own name. In the eyes of the Lord, David and Bathsheba's family are restored. For she bore a son, Solomon. And just as we saw David send and send and send, and then finally the Lord send Nathan, we see again, the Lord sent Nathan to declare his love for Solomon. This was a sign that the Lord's grace conquered David's sin and that Solomon would become the future king. The lineage that David was promised would continue through the son of David and Bathsheba. The ultimate blessing being that the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come from them. The Lord keeps his promises and his work will be completed as he intended. In the beginning, David sent Joab to battle. And now Joab sends for David to return to the battle. Or I should say come to the battle in the first place. David gathers the rest of his army together. And they went out and they conquered Rabbah. And he continued to conquer all the cities of the Ammonites. David acts like a king, one who has been restored to God's service. He is no longer neglecting his duties. The path into the pit of sin moves subtly and swiftly. What starts as neglecting Christian duty turns into indulgence of our fallen nature's desires, and next we betray those we sin against and God himself. And last, out of shame of that betrayal or concern, we attempt to cover those sins up. For those that do not recognize that they are doing these things, they will remain in the pit. But for those scratching at the walls, trying to find a way out, the Lord provides a path out of the pit through exposure to and by the word of the Lord, the reception of consequences of our sins, and the acceptance and repentance of our sins. And then at the moment, at that moment, we receive the grace of God allowing us to be eternally restored in relationship to him and for us to take our position in the army of the Lord 
to serve him. As exemplified in David's prayer of confession in Psalm 51, through repentance, you too can be restored to your service for God. Let us pray. Father, what a broken story with a beautiful image of your loving grace. Your steadfast love endures through all. God, we can't make sense of all the broken things that happen in our lives. We can't make sense of all the sins that we have done. It doesn't all make sense to us. But Lord, we understand that your steadfast love endures forever. And we thank you that you have given us a way out of the pit of sin. Lord, I pray for all that are here, that they recognize and see, myself included, where they are at on that path. And Lord, let them cling to your love. Let them, pull, let them be pulled out of the pit. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray.